Bulls Gold is delivered to you via the Barroom Network, now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about Chicago sports, movies, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the Barroom Network for free and easy downloads of its programming. And visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Bulls Gold on the Barroom Network. I'm Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shula Jr. Hey, Ed, how is it going, man? How is your uh, week starting out? It's been good. Uh, we we have a lot of playoff basketball on, basketball every day, great crowds, great atmospheres. Uh, it's a shame the Bulls couldn't be a part of that, but I mean, we got a play-in victory, so I, I guess that's a... That's a guy, nice runner-up prize. I, I don't know, but I mean, it was a fun game to watch uh, last week when they beat the Raptors. But uh, I, I almost feel like sometimes the playoffs are more enjoyable without the Bulls in them because then I don't have to like, I don't have to like think about any like repercussions with the team. You know, like sometimes it's, it's weird like that. But uh, look, I'm, I'm doing well. There have been some really good games so far. The season is over, mercifully, and yeah, we're, we're gonna get into it. Yeah, a lot of playoff basketball going on. Uh, yeah, that Bulls game was fun, the Raptors game, but then obviously the Heat, uh, they did exactly what you expect them to do because, yeah. you know, they, they beat a Raptors team that's supposed to be a tougher matchup for them and then uh, beat a Miami team that kind of looked washed going into the playing games. Right. So, uh, and, and a team that they've handled all season. Uh, so, obviously, that's, you know, typical Bulls. But yeah, the playoffs have been fun. You know, my guy Jimmy Butler is one and zero right now, uh, so I'm feeling good about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, uh, but Jimmy, yeah, Jimmy went off for you, man. I, I was I was watching. I was like, man, I know Salim is just like just like pumping his fist right now. <laughs> that's and, right. And that's right. That's going, right. Like full throttle, and yeah, it, it's funny because we on our last show we were talking about uh, which team would we want to face if we uh, beat the Raptors, and like I I think I said Miami because we had beat beat them three times and I guess uh, the wrong choice. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jimmy, you know, Jimmy raises up, you know, like yeah. it, it is what it is. He just raises his game uh, whenever whenever that time comes. But yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about with this Bulls team in general. Obviously, we've had the conversations about the plan. We'll get that and uh, a little more thoughts into that. And then uh, Arturis Karnaschovas uh, had his uh, – postseason or yeah postseason sorry end of season presser where a lot of bad things happened in my opinion we'll get into that uh and then we'll cut talk a little bit about uh, playoffs as well uh but yeah let's let's get into it we're gonna go ahead and bring our guest on who's gonna really you know dig in with us well we've had him on you know numerous times he contributes currently to the athletic uh and nba and also 
uh, does contribution to bulls.com. Rob Schaefer, Rob, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me guys. You know, you know, I always love coming on. Uh, I've lost track of the appearances at this point, but yeah. friend of the show, I think, you know, if the feelings mutual, it's probably a good way to put it. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, always, it's, it's always good to be here. Absolutely. 100%, you know, you know, love having you, you break down, you break down the game, you follow the game like no other, the, the young goat, like you do a big time. So yeah, we always know that when you come on here, you're going to drop some like big time jewels for us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, let, let's get into it. So we'll, we'll start off with the plan, you know, you know, Ed and I were talking about the plan a little bit, the, the Raptors, the, the heat, um, you know, Zach, obviously the big topic was Zach Levine after that heat loss, uh, other than various different topics regarding that game in general, but obviously everyone was, you know, just dumping on Zach after the heat loss and look, Criticism is fair. Like, he was horrible that game. Uh, but I felt like it also gets overthrown. That looked like without Zach, they don't even make it that far. So right. it's kind of like that, that you know, unfair. Like, the people that, you know, hate Zach didn't say anything after Toronto's game. But then you come out, you know, out of nowhere to, you know, to just start tweeting out your hate tweets and things like that. You know, what were your thoughts about Zach, obviously, with in Toronto and just the general conversation about him after these play-ins ended? Yeah, I thought it was a bummer that the follow-up to the Toronto game was the Miami game because and the way he played. What was he, like 6-21, six, six five turnovers? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was especially bad in the fourth quarter. I think he missed all five of his shots and had a couple live ball turnovers that just killed them uh, down the stretch of that game. And I, So I was on the radio. I was on 670 a few days ago. Uh, with uh, Gabe Ramirez, the host over there. And we were talking, we got into like this, it was kind of funny, we got into this existential conversation about like, what does the play-in even mean? Should we care? And I think where I kind of landed on it is it is this fun, even if you're a fan of a team in it and you realize, you know, you're either, unless you're like the Thunder and you're this upstart team that's ahead of schedule, you're probably disappointed with your team season if you're in the play-in, right? Because you're in that like 7 to 10 mix and you probably had higher expectations. But one, you know, the games are always fun. So it's fun to just lock in and you kind of get to forget about all the existential questions and just root for your team for a game or two. But another thing I think you could take away from just watching a team in that environment is kind of how guys perform, who acquits themselves well in, you know, especially for the Bulls where they were playing two road games in, in hostile territory in two tough places to play, uh, you know, obviously by quality of opponent um, and just, you know, home court advantage or whatever you want to call it. Although there were some, there were a lot of empty seats uh, at that Miami game. At least it looked like it on television. So I had some questions about that, but yeah, <laughs> Zach, Zach in that Toronto game completely backpacked that comeback. I mean, completely put the team on his back to me. It underscored what I think the overarching storyline of this season of Zach is, which is, I think he emerged as pretty clearly the, the bulls best player this season. Really people were saying, Oh, you know, it's been since March scoring outburst post all-star break to me, he's been back to himself, like his all-star self since December. Like if you just look at the numbers of it and the way yeah. that he was ascending, it was back to being an elite rim finisher. The mid range numbers came back up a little bit, obviously three point shooting with how low volume this team shoots threes in general. I still think he could have taken more. I mean, he could have taken 13 to 15 night, right? Like that one quote that he had earlier in the season mm-hmm. and no one would have complained, but that efficiency was up. 
So, and to me, the best stretch of the season ever, you know, you could put the Papev effect on it. That was a factor too. But them going 14 and nine after the all-star break to me also kind of coincided with Zach grabbing the reins of the offense a little bit. And it's not to say that DeMar was uninvolved, but I think Zach's skill set and his offensive versatility and his athleticism and his ability to score from three levels uh, really, really, really stood out. And to me, he cemented himself as that kind of, you know, best player on the team, like I said, over the course of the season. So the Toronto game was kind of a culmination of that. The Miami game is a bummer because I think if he had, even if, even if the Bulls lose that game, but Zach plays well, acquits himself well, um, or just doesn't acquit himself as poorly as he ended up doing, unfortunately, with how he shot and, and the turnovers. I think one positive takeaway that's genuine you could have taken from this bowl season is that at least he looked good in that context. And now you can kind of say that about the Toronto game. Cause I really, I do think it was a genuinely incredible performance like that. That Toronto team is a good defensive team with a lot of length and athleticism. And they just had nothing for him um, and creative schematically. They just had no answer for him getting downhill um, and uh, you know, operating off the dribble. Uh, but the Miami game sours that a little bit. Um, and to me, it's even more significant because obviously the storyline of the season was that getting healthier over the course of the year after the knee surgery. To me, I know he made his playoff debut technically last year, but I don't even hold how poorly that series went for the Bulls. I don't hold his individual numbers really against him, just knowing how not 100% he was and obviously how banged up the team was at that point. Zach, you know, he ends up going down and not playing um you know a game or two at the end of that series caruso goes down with the concussion so to me this to me was in my opinion even though the bulls weren't going to ever go anywhere even if they made it up out of the play-in to me this was my kind of i was taking it as a clean slate all right how does zach levine respond to playoff intensity level basketball even if the opponents are not like elite opponents by any means um and it was a mixed bag Uh, i think the highs were were crazy crazy high with the toronto game and then the lows in the miami game were low I still think, though, we're going to get into conversation about the offseason. I still think he cemented himself to me as someone where, you know, maybe he's not, you know, an unquestioned number one alpha on a championship team. And I think a lot of people are going to bring that up when you talk about the contract. But to me, his skill set, his age, the upside he still has, and the way he performed really for the last December, January, February, March, April, four or five months of the season, to me, like, he's the – to me, he's kind of the glue that holds this all together still in what's a pretty bleak outlook for the Bulls. So I, if I was the Bulls, I'd still be prioritizing trying to retrofit this roster around him just because the teardown is clearly not not an option for, for the front office the way they're operating right now. And uh, I think that's the big picture takeaway from Zach's season, at least in my opinion, even though the Miami game was, was a pretty unfortunate end to it. I mean, the lack of shooting on this roster is really glaring. You know, we we've, that we've all talked about. You've mentioned it countless times when you've covered this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked about it on this show. Uh, everyone's talked about it, like that. You know, the shooting, the lack of shooting, really ends ends up becoming a math if problem for the Bulls, where you know they're you know the two two points versus three points. You know, three is better than two type of conversation. So in that respect, like, you know, it's while, while DeMar and Zach can be a good duo together, um, you just don't have enough guys off that bench that can shoot the ball that to really give them this, not only the space, but the support uh, they need off of teams trying to trap them and trying to force 
the ball out of their hands. Essentially, it's kind of becomes, well, we'll let, you know, DJJ beat us or, you know, we'll let another guy like Caruso who, I mean, knock down shots uh, against the Heat, but he's not really a shooter, you know. So, um, yeah, that that's rough as well as far as when we talk about, you know, how the roster is built in, in general. Mm-hmm. And the big three thing, I think it's just not a, a realist, a real um, solution anymore. It's I think it's something that we'll get into as well, but that probably needs to be over as well. Well, what struck me, and I might be skipping ahead, but just get just getting into some of the stuff. I was not at the AK uh, press conference, but I listened to it. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting that he talked about was the way, like the way that the Bulls have had success when they've been able to put the right types of role guys around Zach, Demar, and Vucevic. And to me, it's true. I mean, when you have versatile defenders uh, who can, you know, play make and shoot a little bit, Lonzo, Caruso, to a lesser extent, Beverly, but you saw the effectiveness of that identity in the 20, 25 games after the All Star break. Uh, they pulled themselves out of it a little bit. But to me, that just speaks to this dynamic that's been pretty clear ever since Lonzo got hurt, which is that it's just a weird team building situation that you're in when your role players are driving winning and not your stars. And to me, or quote unquote stars. And to me, like that's why stars are the highest paid players on most teams. That's why they cost so much to get. I mean, the Bulls, what they give up for the combination to bring in DeMar and, and, and Vooch, you know, three future firsts, they still owe two. Um, you know, a couple young guys, uh, where I really, I guess just Wendell and, and Thad, who was a decent role player. Um, like that's why those guys are, those level of players are so coveted is because they're supposed to drive winning. But to me, when you look at like, uh, I can't remember where I, um, I can't remember the exact figures of it, but that three man combination, Levine, DeMar, Vucevic was the most played three man combination in the NBA this year. The net rating was basically level. It was like minus 0.4. So right. Yeah. To me, that kind of tells you what the foundation is and however much you change the window dressing, you're always going to be susceptible to being one injury away from, you know, the wheels coming off. And that's that's kind of what's happened to them over the larger sample size of the last season and a half, uh, even if the last 20 games of this season were a little bit better. Yeah, they they really can't bring this trio back because because like you said, this 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 might have been the most healthy Bulls team <laughs> that we've seen in in quite some yeah. time. <laughs> I mean, you you mentioned Vooch, Demar, and uh, and Zach, and and then you talk about Patrick Williams played in every game. Kobe didn't miss a ton of games. Uh, like you you largely had most of your best players all season, and then you had the Pat Bev acquisition. Zach played the most minutes of his career. Like yeah, and and then you had like the Pat Bev acquisition after the deadline, and he didn't miss any games, and he was a big part of why the Bulls were even able to secure the playing spot. So you figured like naturally that if there is even any notable injury next year to any of your top three players, like like you said, Rob, all of this is gonna is gonna fall apart pretty quickly. Um, like to me, I don't know, like the vibe that I got from this presser and just kind of like reading some of it is, I don't know. It, it seems more retooly to me. I, I don't know how they're going to do that, but like, you know, we've been talking on the show about retool versus rebuild and, you know, all those different things. And, you know, I, I've, I've been more of a retool proponent, but um, 
it, it definitely feels more retooled to me based on what they're saying. Like, I, I don't know, but like, what's the vibe that you're picking up from all of us? Because it, it, it seems like a, a reset while it can definitely make sense. I can see why they would be a little hesitant to do that because it's a hard sell when you were coming yeah. off, coming off that just a few seasons ago. And I know Reinsdorf, like, you know, I, I'm sure there's a factor in it that he doesn't want to like go through these things anymore with another hard rebuild where you can risk losing money and fans again and just general fan interest. And like we saw what happened at the all-star game in Chicago a few years back when the Bulls hosted, but didn't really have much of a presence. So like, I, I think there's probably incentive for them to at least stay relevant, but like, how do you interpret it from what you saw at the presser? Yeah, I definitely got a retool vibe because, you know, Artur said it, to to Sam, Sam Smith's pretty direct question at the end, asking if the teardown was an option, um, and he basically said, you know, they're they're not their minds are not there right now. Which you know, anybody who closely follows the team or is around the team would tell you just because of the dynamics of it. And even when you look at the roster, it's it'd be tough to even tear this down right now and get to a place where a team like like teams who just tore down like like a Utah where they're so asset rich moving forward because the bulls are starting at a deficit and you've got these guys who your big trade chips, quote unquote, their value is a little nebulous to me. Like DeMar, like I would have felt much more confident about getting a bigger haul for him at say the last trade deadline than now necessarily when, you know, any team that's trading for him is getting him for an expiring year. And you got to think about the extension right away. Uh, Cause he's extension eligible right now uh, this off season. So it's difficult. Uh, I, I definitely got the retool vibe. Uh, my question is, and it's it's not one that they could answer at the podium there, and it's gonna it's and it's a question that can only be answered by actions, right? Is just how they're gonna swing it with how up against the tax they are, with how much they seem to like individually the components of this team. Seems like they really like Vooch. Obviously, our tourists talk glowingly about Kobe and Io and um, you know all these different guys that they have that are potential free agents or could potentially be moved, like with the tax cap, that's naturally going to be on this team. You're working with the mid-level, but even, even getting mid-level space under the tax line is kind of tough. If you want to retain guys, I was looking at the cap sheet today. It's just, they're really, really restricted. So I like, I know they've fallen back a few times on the explanation of, well, in 2021, we needed to tear it all down and we did, and we did all the sign and trades and we never went below the cap and we, we totally re- refitted the roster and it worked. Uh, and that's valid. But to me, they're in a tougher spot now, asset-wise, salary-wise, and for that matter, when they flipped this roster on its head the first time, it was a little easier in the sense that they were flipping over the roster that they inherited, right? So nothing that they did, no players that they sold off, no shifts that they made were reflecting on mistakes that you know the new quote-unquote front office had made necessarily. I still have not seen them and maybe they will this offseason. I hope they do for the sake of the fans. I still have not seen them be able to reflect to the level that they take ownership of a mistake that they have made personnel-wise and then try to flip it on its head. That's a much more difficult thing to do, right? And it, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying anybody's on the hot seat or anything like that, but that's when you could start like feeling more of the external pressures of, all right, we had our one try, now we're on our second go of it. And uh, you know, there's a little bit more pressure when you do that than when you kind of play out the string on one roster vision. Um, so obviously they wanted to give this core 
as many chances as they, as they possibly could to put it together in a way that would build on last year. But to me, they didn't, they didn't really come close to reaching the marker of what success was supposed to be for this season, which if you were between the lines of Arturis's quotes at the beginning of the year was either a competitive first round series or obviously advancing, you know, to the next round of the playoffs, the second round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. uh, like beyond even missing the playoffs, the gap, even at their best, I know they competed quote unquote, well with the quote unquote elite teams. Like I just don't buy that they were on close to the levels of Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, like those surefire second round teams. Uh, and they would have had to been there for this to have been a successful season by their own definition. So by that nature, I think there's got to be changes, but they've projected that it's going to be more, maybe not tweaks, maybe not marginal, because they used those words explicitly last year. They didn't do that this time. There was a little bit more open-mindedness, I think, to looking at all options. Uh, but it's just hard to see what they're going to do other than Trayden maybe a member of the big three, maybe two, um, or, you know, renouncing a bunch of these key free agents and trying to make stuff work with exceptions. Um, it's going to be difficult, but to me, it, it can't be another offseason where we're breaking down two or three signings that comprise half of the mid-level, and that's that's as far as we go. It, it's got to go a little bit further than that. Hmm. Well, my worry is, so he he mentioned, obviously he said the, the rebuild is not even on, on their mind, but so he mentioned the second half, how they played well and how they were, he was kind of happy about that. And that's something to consider essentially. Um, So that kind of makes me fear that he thinks that this big three thing can kind of still work. Um, He's, he's saying, you know, he wants to bring uh, Vooch back. There's no real conversation about them trading DeMar or Zach, like, you know, within the organization, we haven't heard anything like that. Like mm-hmm. they'll be open to moving to one of those guys. And obviously we, we, we've talked extensively about also the cap situation. They don't really have any, you know, wiggle room as far as um, about improving this team. And it's, it's almost feels like they'll, they'll, I don't know. It just feels like they'll do this stupid shuffling around where they'll do more bandages, bandages around this big three Um like you'll probably end up seeing like Io leave maybe because they won't be able to keep him and maybe they'll prioritize keeping Kobe. Um, I don't know what they'll resign Vooch for. Like I, I, obviously his contract is is very uh, up in the air. What 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 he'll want and what he'll accept from the Bulls. If this honestly obviously it comes down to if he wants to come back and I think in the end it comes down to if he wants to be in a winning situation. So if he wants to leave then. I think the only winning teams are out there that are don't have the cap to get him. So they would have to facilitate a sign and trade at that point. But like Vooch probably still has more control over where he ends up being at. Um, I don't know. I just, I didn't get a feeling that we're, we're going to see much different of a roster next season. Like, like there's ideas of what I would like to see, like various different things of what I would like to see, but like what I feel is we're going to see some hacked job of around this big three again. Like, am I crazy to feel that way? No. And to me, that was the most, to me, that was the most disappointing part of the presser was the framing of the post all-star break stretch. And this is a direct quote as the team being on the right track, because to me, it's, 
like I get it. You get Beverly and you recreate some semblance of the Lonzo identity from early last season. And you can kind of see the vision again, but to me, like fixating on that 20 to 25 game sample, it's not as significant to me as the sample collected from the last 20 to 25 games of last season, plus the first 60 games of this season, which was basically this group because that was the whole mantra of the off season. It was making marginal moves. It was Drummond. It was Dragic. wasn't around that long anyway. Um, so to me, that sample size is more significant. And uh, that, that that was that was disappointing to me. The fact that the fact that that was projected, and it makes me feel pretty much the same way, uh, Salim. In terms of, I wouldn't predict big changes at this point. I'd I'd be pleasantly surprised. Um, but it would be hard to predict that just given where they're at and given how they've talked about um, the team. It's just to me, the sample size is so much larger of this being kind of just the foundation of it being average, mediocre, whatever word you want to use. When from the beginning, I, I still remember I was, you know, I was at those press conferences when Arturis and Mark and Billy first got hired. And one of the underlying messages was we won't accept mediocrity i think he said it again at this presser and it was we're not going to skip steps but to me this roster was kind of assembled skipping a lot of steps like developmentally building out depth at various positions and versatility etc and now we're getting to the point that if there aren't changes made this offseason i don't really know that you could say quote unquote we don't accept mediocrity because there will have been an implicit acceptance of it by continuing to run back the same core after this season i personally would not have let it run to the end of the season if i was in charge i can understand wanting to give the group every last chance you possibly could especially if there are no deals on the table that you're in love with but beyond this point um it's just getting to the point where i'm it it loses me uh just with all the evidence that we have to this point it's so funny though because when you think about where AK came from in Denver and like how this team has been built in Chicago and obviously there's different factors because he wasn't like the boss there, but it's just kind of like interesting how differently those teams have been built where, you know, Denver was really kind of built through the draft and making some really like true, like free agent signings at the right time and just getting value out of a lot of key players at the right moment and being able to maximize that. And, you know, in Chicago, uh, it was a lot of trades in terms of just, you know, putting some key veterans around Zach Levine. So it was really interesting, but it, it, all of this just keeps going back to a conversation we were having like a few shows ago about what the Bulls identity really is, because we just don't really know what this team does really well in terms of the front office moves that they're going to make. Like usually you look at a team like the Lakers and you can say with the Lakers, okay, they're going to, sign big stars and they'll figure it out later. That's always been their ammo. They get Shaq, you know, or they'll they'll trade for Gasol. They get LeBron, they get AD, and then they just figure it out later. They've always been doing that. Or you look at a team like Miami, like Miami, they, they just continue to develop these unknown guys really well. They draft really well and they're able to swing for some like really quality veterans, but the bulls, it it just, you, you don't really know what their MO is. Like they don't, they, they don't really trade that well. They don't really do free agency that well. Uh, there was a time where they were really good at drafting, but that's kind of long gone. So, And then like those under the radar moves, 
they they don't really do that as well either. I, I don't know. Like it, it just seems like they don't really have that calling card right now uh, so far through this era. Like what do you think? What do you think about that, Rob? Like, do you see? Yeah. I think I think I think I saw a semblance of it in 2021 where the mantra going into that offseason, right, was here are these areas of weakness that we've identified and we're going to attack them. Point of attack defense, go get Lonzo and Caruso, like two of the best guys in the league at doing that. Um, You know, they were one of the obviously they were one of the worst clutch teams again this year. But in 2020, 21, they blew a lot of late games, close games, Um, a lot of it being that the team was so young. So they went out and got DeRozan, who's a pretty reliable uh, primary ball handler, playmaker. Um, obviously, he had this incredible clutch season in 2021-22. So that worked out pretty well. Um, and to me, like that was to me that was their identity. The first two off seasons that they were, uh, you know, at the helm, it was in terms of the front office, it was, you know, being pretty calculated in evaluating what the flaws and shortcomings of the roster were and then coming up with ways and in a lot of ways, creative ways to address those. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if it didn't get you to the ultimate goal, there was at least uh, an affirmation that they were seeing and internalizing a lot of the flaws that, you know, people watching the games all the time were and addressing those. And to me, like, I just, again, I get, I I get to a degree last off season wanting to give the group a chance and thinking there was a chance they were going to be, healthier this year. You don't know the Lonzo uh, situation that uh, we didn't, they didn't have as much clarity back then as they do now, but now the flaws are because we have this enormous sample size with this group. Cause it's basically been, you know, since Lonzo got hurt, it's been what? 100 and, uh, 110, 120 games, something like that. You have this massive sample size with the same core, even if a few role players shift places in the rotation here and there, that it should be, the same thing again, where they come into this offseason with like three point shooting, rim protection, whatever you want to point out. There's a lot of holes that they got to plug with this team. And, you know, if they were operating the same way they did in 2021, which is in a lot of ways impossible because the, the asset situation and the money situation is different, but you would see them kind of identify those and address them in very calculated and specific ways. So that's why I say, you know, I was, I was a little discouraged by the tone of, of the end of season presser, but you got to evaluate them by their actions. So let's see what they do this off season because their identity, like I said, two, three years ago was they weren't saying much or giving much away back then either, but their actions were backing up kind of that soft spoken laid back tone to things. Uh, and that has been the case for the last, at least last off season. Um, so we'll see what it looks like this time around, but I'd like to see them get back to that identity a little bit. Cause they, at least it felt like had direction and intentionality behind the moves they were making back then the last couple transaction cycles. It seems like it's just been picking up spare parts here and there to try to piece it together. Like you said, Celine putting bandages on it um, and not making these like more sustainable fixes to, to their deeper problems. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So like, like so let's let's talk about a little bit about thoughts on like what I, I feel like they should do. But I talked about breaking up this big three and I think when we look at this roster and what I would like to see them prioritize is like I'm I'm a big proponent of keep keeping Kobe because I think it'll be a huge mistake if the Bulls let Kobe go to another team, especially since he's actually developed here 
Um, I've talked about it uh, often in this podcast, but I feel like yeah, I can see him having a Malik Monk type of breakout season next season, like where we're seeing what Malik Monk is doing in these playoffs, right? Where we've seen what he's done all this that season. And obviously they're not exactly the same archetype type of players because Malik Monk is more athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but as far as that type of pathway where you saw Malik Monk maybe have his struggles early in his through his rookie contract and then he kind of figured it out, I think maybe in a second contract, but I think Kobe probably has figured out a little quicker, but I can I can see that happening, and I think it would be like I said a mistake to let him go. And then the other thing is I need to see them start prioritizing getting Pat Patrick Williams. That is like more involved in the offense, getting him more on ball reps, expedite his his growth, his development process. Like now that doesn't mean that Patrick will develop into that type of player as an on ball guy. But I I feel like there's more juice there for him to do it. Like I've seen small flashes of of him doing these things as far as creating for himself off the bounce. Like we've seen him make some nice moves against like a guy like Jason Tatum. Like mm-hmm. there's something there. There's something there. Now if he can build onto that more, it's another you know conversation and maybe something that can we can first further dissect. But like. That there, there's something there where I feel like he can continue to develop on that. So I think the priority should be to see if you want to keep Zach in the fold, like because he's young enough where he's shown that he's a really great talent. And unless you get a godfather offer for him, you don't want to just move on from him. I think you have to look at trading Demar, and if you can trade Demar for like a 3D wing and a first round pick. So that what that then does, it obviously opens up opportunities for Kobe and Pat and more of a free-flowing offense because DeMar obviously um, as great – I love DeMar. He's probably still going to go down as one of my favorite all-time bulls just because of the on- and off-court stuff. But yeah. as far as like the, uh, the ball sticking to him and a lot of stuff that he likes to do in isolation, that tends to bog down the offense and it doesn't allow – opportunities a lot of times for other guys. So that allows, like I said, more opportunity for Pat and Kobe to be involved in the offense. Then you add shooting with this 3 and D wing, like a younger guy that's a theoretical 3 and D wing that you can maybe develop more. And then maybe you can you can acquire another one in free agency with the mid-level exception if, like, like I said, with DeMar's salary off the book. And then Vooch, I guess you can talk to him about an extension. I don't know. Maybe you can still look into a sign-in trade if you want. But I think something like that could maybe modernize the offense more. Like allow – the. I think like adding two shooters in their place of DeMar and allowing Kobe and Pat to get involved could re- realistically bump the three-point rate and as a shooting team a lot more. Uh, a lot in general, just by doing stuff like that. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on on something like that? Because I know Ed's kind of been in favor of, the, of that retool process, but like trading Demar maybe hasn't been necessarily the conversation we've had uh, as far as at least like in general yeah. when we talk about our retool. Well, I think he's I think he's the logical one, right? If we're going to talk about you know making some kind of shakeup and the cap sheet is what it is and the draft asset situation is what it is like he's the logical guy to go the question is 
what can you get back? We don't really know what's out there. You would hope, I think you would hope you get like one or two, like you said, Celine, you know, two way kind of shooting wings guard, like whatever you could get there and maybe a draft pick or two to, to, to start to replenish that chest a little bit. Um, but to me, like, like you said, empowering Kobe and Pat a little bit, seeing if you could retrofit something that's a little bit more modern around Zach, that, that would make sense to me only because now I don't know how their defense would have translated to the playoffs, but they showed at least that they had a pretty good regular season defensive formula. They were top five on that end. Um, and the offense lagged behind. So to me, like dragging that up is the way that you kind of raise this group's level and then empowering your young guys. Now, maybe it doesn't work out, but you at least introduce a little bit more upside than the current group has. And you probably like, you know, if you're a fan, it probably increases the watchability and entertainment value too, which, uh, you know, clearly uh, matters to a degree. It's all sports. It's all, it's all entertainment. Right. Um, I'd be curious what Pat would look like with a little bit more offensive responsibility. I, I get people that are hesitant because he just hasn't shown the shot creation, the playmaking reliability, the ball handling, like on a consistent basis. But to me, I also think it's a little bit unreasonable to expect that stuff to have developed all the way, not only because of his age, I'm not going to bring up his age, but just because of the role that he's had to play on this team for the last few seasons. Like, I think if you look at the things that he's been asked to do consistently, you know, defend and spot up shoot, he's gotten uh, significantly better to me since his rookie year Um, at those two things, specifically rebounding, I think leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, And, uh, just without the consistent opportunity with the ball in his hands, I just don't even know what to make of his potential uh, in that capacity. So it could be worth finding out. It's a big risk because you could end up taking a massive step back um, while still trying to compete. But at the end of the day, you know, he finished the season under 500 and outside of the playoffs. I don't, I just, the downside is not ending up in a place that is to me, not much further down than where, uh, they already are. So that framework, Salim, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It, it wouldn't solve all their problems, but um, given that they don't, they're likely not going to have the the pick this year and they're not going to have a ton of spending power in free agency, making a big trade like that and just trying to shake up the play style offensively a little bit. I think it's your best bet at at least making the vibe feel a little bit different and maybe having a little bit of upside next year. Um, because to me, it was... It's just, it was just incredibly disappointing the the offensive output of this group with how many offense first players they have in there, um, you know that quote unquote big three them all you know have a track records as pretty pretty like all star level individual offensive players for the offensive rating to be as low as it was and for the offense to bog down when you're watching the games as often as it did, it, they got to shake something up in that department and to me there's not there's really not much downside because when you finish 24th on that end of the floor how much lower could you really go. Uh, making a trade like that. Yeah, when when AK talked about changing the shot profile on the team, I immediately thought like, okay, the, well, they're probably going to trade Domar because I mean that would probably be the one of the easiest ways to do everything. And I mean, he 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 makes up such a big part of the offense with like creating offense. I mean, I figure that's probably the direction that we're going to go. They're going to go in, um, mm-hmm. and he makes twenty eight million next year on a one year deal, so. I mean, I, I think even though I, I agree with you that doing nothing at the trade deadline made every route that they could possibly take worse, but 
I, I figure like DeMar still has to have some sort of value on a one-year $28 million contract. You'd think so. Yeah, you'd think yeah, so. Like, yeah, like he's so. still a 24, 23, you know, he's still a 20-point-per-game scorer wherever he goes, right? So, um, you know, can create offense in his sleep. So, I mean, you'd have to figure that some sort of contender, possibly in the Western Conference, that would have some interest in him. Uh and maybe the Bulls could get some sort of like shooter or whatever on an expiring contract that could help. I don't know, but I do. I've, I've liked that idea of a retool. Like I, I, I don't know. Like, like I agree with you though, Rob, that I, it's hard for me to see this team being better next year, but like, I, I think they could at least take a step in the direction of, okay, let's play a style of basketball that it at least is going to work and isn't going to put us behind games. And, you know, at least having four or five guys on the floor who can like, spread the offense out i think that's a good a good you know direction to take and plus you really do at some point need to start getting patrick williams you got to give him the ball like you if yeah. you're gonna sign him to this contract uh which i'm assuming should be an off-season priority like he's gonna have to take a really big role in this offense like salim said so i mean i i think next season would probably be that season but um i i think it'll be interesting because even though i am a fan like I'm a proponent of, of the retool, it'll be interesting to see how Zach reacts to that in terms mm-hmm. of like if he sees DeMar gone and Vooch isn't re-signed and, you know, he's, you know, he's here with all of these young players and, you know, it, and they're not really winning again. Like it, it'll be interesting to see how that like reflects on like his future in Chicago. Like, is he ultimately someone that like, I, I don't know, like, I, I guess my thinking is, man, is, is there a scenario where, they just all want out like at some point, like Zach, it doesn't even matter. Like, all right, I see DeMar going I see Vooch going. I want out too. I don't want to stay here and be a part of whatever retool rebuild combination. This is, I don't know, but yeah, that's dark. <laughs> I mean, that's a dark, it's a dark timeline. I, I don't, yeah, I don't really know. And that, and that's what you have to factor in when you're the, when you are in the front office position and you have more Intel than people like people like us do. Yeah. Right. You got to factor in what those dynamics are and, making sure that if you do make the big moves, you have enough left to keep not only yourself competitive, because clearly being competitive is important to them mm. um, in the immediate term, uh, but also being like on paper, surefire competitive enough that everybody um, is still on board and buys in. Um, but it's tough, man. I mean, there's just no, there's no easy answer. I uh, I just, and, and I, and I hate to be the person that's just like change for the sake of change, but that mm. does kind of feel like where we're at with the team and I just think with the talent level that they have, I just, you're not going to be less than like, say, you know, a 35 to 37 win team, right. Which is not that much further down from where they finished this year. But to me, the ceiling is also not particularly high. It's like, say everything goes right for them this year. It's probably what 44 wins, 43, 45, something like that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, maybe that gets you into a first round series, but again, it's that top three. I think that's who, who you have to measure yourself against if you're the Chicago Bulls and if you have the aspirations that they say they do. And there's such a gap that no matter how much they, uh, you know, change up the the more ancillary pieces, I think there's always going to be, you know, a little bit of a gap to uh, or, or a bridged gap um, until more wholesale. Stuff yeah, and I'm, starts to happen. I'm also thinking like. Just making the comparison and, and thinking about what Bradley Beal is going through in Washington for all of these years where he's been that guy that the team just doesn't want to trade and 
he's been playing on some really mediocre teams and it's just like I don't know like does Zach want to be like Chicago Bradley Beal at some point I don't know and then you think about the trade rumors too that had Zach going to New York like I mean I don't know if all of those were like true but maybe there was a little bit of smoke of you know the Knicks wanting Zach Levine and like I think Dallas was a team that was looking at Zach Levine too so I mean it's gonna be a long offseason and you're it's probably a guarantee that some of these teams are going to come knocking on the Bulls' door again, especially if they know that there's going to be a potential that DeMar and Vooch go. But, yeah, it's just – Oh, man, dude, if I was another team, I would be – I mean, it's like all the deadline rumors, right, where it was like, oh, other teams, they're circling the Bulls or whatever. Like, I would totally be, if I was another team, like circling on yeah. Zach, just given what he showed down the stretch of the season. Like, if especially if you have the infrastructure and another star to pair him with, like – Totally. Yeah, yeah so. no, and he's still a great fit for what Dallas might be trying to do right now. Like, I mean, yeah, they, yeah so it, I don't know. So maybe that, so, you know, that's the thing. Maybe that's the route. It's just, there's so many ways to go and none of them feel like the hundred percent wrong decision, but none of them feel hundred percent great either. Cause it's kind of the right. best of a bunch of shaky options. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I I'm all for a full rebuild. Like that's my ideal. Like thing. yeah, like I I would settle for a, a, a soft retool if you're gonna give uh if you're gonna keep Zach and like flip Demar and that's been my like but the 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 hard rebuild has been my my preferable route and that's why I was most frustrated at the deadline because I thought they they could have maximized like the the assets that they got because I think you could get a first round pick for. Alex Caruso, which you still probably could, I think. You, excuse me. You definitely could because, I mean, he's going to be a you know, first-team all-defense, uh, and rightfully he's earned that. Um, you could gotten probably two – excuse me, sorry. You could probably gotten like two picks for DeMar at the deadline, I think. You could have gotten a first for Vooch. Like, freaking Jakob Pertl went for a first. You don't mm-hmm. think a team would have given a first for Vooch? Um you could have gotten, I think, three picks for Zach if you know the right situation arises. Or at the at at let or I said like you know trade those three guys first, let Zach recoup his value and he has now, and then on draft day you could have probably gotten three four picks for him. And I think that would have given the Bulls a really nice like assets and foundation to sit there and say like, okay, maybe we don't have a true blue chip star yet. I think Patrick Williams does have more juice than he's been allowed to show in, in certain aspects. I, I'm higher on Pat than maybe a lot more other people are. But then you get like seven draft picks or eight draft picks, depending on what you get for DeMar and Zach into that rebuild. And then you can properly assess Patrick Williams, see how much more better Kobe Bryant can get, uh, Bryant, Kobe White can get. Um, that would have been the right route to go. And on top of that, Bulls could have had a much higher odds of keeping the pick this season. Yeah. Yeah. So it just – but, yeah, now we're at this place where it's like they've just kind of screwed themselves. And it's it's just a really rough, rough, you know, go at it this offseason. And, listen, like Ali Crow, if, if I'm wrong, but my impression of – of our tourists at this point is he is a guy that is in over his head. Like, I think he duped 
a lot of us, I mean, maybe, maybe like, I think maybe like Doug Tonus was like the only one who said that this guy isn't good right away when he made that boots trade. But like, I think a lot of us gave him a lot of credit for stuff. I think he just duped most of Bulls Nation. And I just feel that at this point that he's kind of like, just, he doesn't know what he's doing. And it's kind of weird too, because like, uh, what's his name in, in Denver who went to Minnesota? Like if Connelly. it wasn't yeah. Connolly, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for Tim Connolly, uh, the Vooch trade would still be the worst trade in the last couple of years. Like he's like he made even a worse worse trade than the Vooch trade for Rudy Gobert. Like like both those guys left Denver and just completely screwed their new franchises. So <laughs> like so fascinating that that happened though. Like just so yeah, even how Denver they just, operated. They were, <laughs> They were Jokic merchants. That's all. That, that's all they wore. They were Jokic merchants. You got absolutely lucky with with the Joker, and that's it. <laughs> that's basically like blind luck with him getting him in the second round, and then it's just been that basically. That's how their claim to fame is, and they were able to get opportunities elsewhere because of that. And they're they're not actually who they who we thought they were essentially. <laughs> I wonder though, like you, you think about Minnesota and Chicago, and I don't, I don't know. Like Minnesota's always been this team that's just been starved of the playoffs. Like just they just want that relevance, and you know I, I could see why they would make a trade like that for Gobert. And then you think about the Bulls, and they they're a team with so much more history. But the Reinsdorf just kind of the same though, because the outside yeah. of that his house outside of that '90s run, the Bulls are pretty much deprived of any real right. success. And yeah, like right. the like, I think we've all talked about it. But like, what like, I think Mark uh, Kinzolis of CHGO had a tweet, you know, highlighting how the Bulls have only nine out of twenty five years since the po- dynasty where they've made the playoffs and have even won a playoff series like once and like like three times, like three pro seasons where they've won like a playoff season or something like that. Yeah, um, I think that that adds up. Yeah. yeah. Like so it's, it's the Bulls, so then it's then you gotta ask, are the Bulls just Michael Jordan merchants? That's exactly what they are. The Bulls, Chicago Bulls are Michael Jordan merchants. Like <laughs> Jerry Reinsdorf is a Michael Jordan merchant. He is he has made countless billions on the name of Michael Jordan. Like it's absurd. Like yeah. you know, the other other thing like really like depresses me watching the Kings. Essentially, the the Sacramento Kings had the same situation. They had a previous regime that had a had a um a former player that was beloved, like in Vladi Divac, who was just terrible at his job. John Paxson, same situation. Um, they were obviously just, you know, in a bad place, couldn't win anything. Uh, and then they, and then they switched GMs, uh, with, and have McNair now. And McNair actually did what, what AK wanted to do, but he executed it so much better. Now he gave up a lot for Sabonis. Sabonis is a lot of younger than Mooch as well, but that trade has worked out tremendously for them. Like Darren Fox has been exactly who that they thought they were they thought he was as far as a player, this young player that was just not, didn't have the talent around him, hired a coach that knows how to coach a modern offense and they didn't neglect shooting. You know, they went and got Hoarder uh, from Atlanta 
Um, added a bunch of other shooting there, like Malik Monk. They went and got all these yeah, they guys. Just, you know, they, got, they 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 got the marginal moves right better, and they they might have started with more to begin with. I get if you consider like Barnes maybe. being there, he's a great vet for them, and well, and funny enough. They even got the the fourth pick, and they got to add a fourth overall pick to it. And you know they got Keegan Murray, yeah. who's been great for them immediately. Um, but they they took a different draft philosophy than the Bulls took with Patrick Williams. They took a more NBA ready um, type of guy. Which yeah, Keegan, Keegan Murray is definitely more NBA ready, hundred percent. Yeah, and he didn't he didn't need more polished development compared to Pat does. And that's the other philosophy that I think AK needs criticism for because if he wants to win now. And his draft philosophy doesn't match his win um, attitude because even Dale and Terry is a guy that needs minutes. Like he needs a lot of development reps. Like he has, like his shooting is like the biggest key as far as development is concerned. But overall, he just needs game time and to play and get get reps in. And you can't, like you can't have new players like that. You can't draft guys like that that are so raw, and then never play them or never give them the proper opportunity to develop. It's you just, you like, he, like, that's, that's why I'm at a point where it's like, man, this guy's just in over his head. He doesn't actually know what he's doing. And and that's why when I bring up the, when I brought up the Minnesota example, it's just, and and, and we talked about this a a few times, but, and I, I think some of your points are valid, but it's, it's almost like I wonder how much environment can, significantly influence GMs and I, I I look at like when you when you look at the Bulls on, on a surface it's a team where it's like okay the owner won't spend the luxury tax they haven't been great at, at signing big free agents they haven't really made a lot of trades historically up until now uh well like post dynasty so it, it's it's a team where they have a specific build in mind and that's typically to build a contender that is under the luxury tax, uh, you know, somehow still has SARS and it, it just doesn't, it, it just hasn't seemed to work. Like you look at what happened with like Derrick Rose and stuff like that. They lucked into Derrick Rose and they got a contender that way. But if they were building more organically without that type of luck, the, they would have just continued to build those type of like middling teams that maybe have been like slightly above average in random years. So it, it, it almost just makes me wonder how much environment can influence some of these things like this. Like AK, like we, we talked about AK and uh, Connolly coming from Denver where they were building a completely different team from what they're building now in their new respective organizations. And it's just really fascinating. So I don't. I don't know. Like I, like I, I think what AK has done so far obviously hasn't been great. But I also wonder just how much, like, how great can someone be with the Chicago Bulls as a GM under the current circumstances and conditions? Like, is this a situation where someone can be a great GM? And it's just like. I don't know because it, it just yeah. makes me wonder because we've seen a lot of the same problems that John Paxson experienced that AK is now experiencing. So, yeah, I think I I think the first two years they brought it on themselves a little bit with yeah you know you like when you when you accelerate the timeline to the degree that they did while skipping some steps in terms of the you know having a young core a foundation you know extensive depth and things like that like at least Minnesota had 
you know, when they made the big swing at the Gobert trade, you still got to hang on to guys like Cat and McDaniels and Edwards. And like you had like these like maybe McDaniels isn't like a blue chip, but you had like multiple blue chip kind of young and up and coming guys. They were still able to swing, you know, get a get a point guard like Conley in there. And they, they've got reasonable depth um, with guy. I know Nas Reed's hurt now, but he he falls under that category. Kyle Anderson, they were able to swing that move. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, this is why this is a pivotal offseason for for this Bulls front office. Um, and like just because at every stage of this, I might not have agreed with every stage of the moves that they made, but I, I could understand it. Right. Like the Vooch trade to start off, like there was actually widespread excitement about that. From yeah, it was my read, at least yeah. in the fan base. And it was all right. The Bulls are, you know, making an aggressive play. Now, didn't you know, I, I certainly, you know, I can't I can't uh, retroactively like change my take on it. Like I was excited about the trade when it happened. I was interested to see how Zach and Vooch were going to work. Uh, I obviously like the front office overestimated the capabilities to that pairing. And then. I think you compound it then by saying, oh, we've made this kind of all-in adjacent move. We have this one offseason where we have this flexibility where we're over the cap, but we can maneuver all these sign and trades. Um, you know, we have this fe- flexibility to address a few areas of need. Let's just go all in after it and see what it looks like. And you had, what, 30, 40 games where it looked great. Uh, you can even extend it to the all-star break. But to me, that was, you know, they were beating up on a lot of bad teams in the January after Lonzo went down in the January, February stretch there. So I got all that again, last off season, I had kind of seen enough. I was willing to be wrong, but I thought I had seen enough now. Definitely seen enough. So, and I don't know how, I just don't know how you could talk your way out of this group, not needing a change at this point. I just, I, just, I know 14, nine of the all-star break. I just, it rings so hollow to me that I, I personally that's, can't see it. It's fake. It's fake. It's, it's fake. It's not real. Yeah. You shouldn't, that should not be part of the equation at all. And like I said, you know, and, and the Vooch trade, I don't, we've, we've all talked about it at, to ad nauseum, but like really it came down to the pick protections. Like let's say even if you did give them two first round picks, but if you had lottery protected those picks, we're not close to the mess that we're in right now. Right? Like, you're 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 still yeah, you would have you would have given them the 19th pick last year you have your pick in uh in yeah. uh 2022 or whatever year Three, that was the 23 first year. Three. Well, yeah, the first no well, sorry 2021 the, you have your pick you, that yeah. eighth pick you would have had that eighth pick yeah. you would have gave the 19th pick last year uh, and the bulls wouldn't have dale and terry which i like dale but fine whatever that's fine with me uh and then this season i think with the season going the way it is they would have been more confident to say, okay, screw it, let's tank. Because they had full control of that pick. Mm-hmm. Or at least better control of that pick. Well, so even if they even if they did everything, protected. even if they did everything the same, you'd have the pick. You know, like you'd be you'd be in the line. Right, yeah, you would still be depending in the line. on what but level I, of protection you could get on it. Yeah. No, yeah. but I think you would have been more confident in saying, let's rebuild and let's let's go for Wemby. Let's go yeah. hard for yeah. Wemby. Uh, mm-hmm. And with more confidence that, okay, even if it doesn't end up in the top four, we can still keep the pick, but at least we're giving our, our, us, ourselves a better shot at getting a generational prospect prospect in Wemby or even Scoop. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's the pick protections. And, and even the DeMar trade, the pick protection there is just confusing because, 
Like, was San Antonio really gonna not felicit felicitate that sign and trade for Demar if the if they didn't put a lottery full lottery protection on that pick? Like, they they it's, now it's protected better than the Vooch trade was, but it's still only top ten and then top eight, and then it go turns into a second rounder. But still, it leaves that leeway where it could still be a lottery pick that you end up giving up. And and that's what it comes down to his his ways that he's done these deals. It's like, man, you just got to be smarter with these these pick protections, and that's what you've killed yourself with. Not not necessarily the the players that you gave up. Like I love Wendell, but like I'm I'm not I, I'm not kicking I'm not killing myself right now because we don't have Wendell. I'm killing myself right now because we're not going to have these picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it leaves you in a tough spot, and it's like, and it leaves you in a spot where, as we're talking about, there's no real 100% ironclad good options going forward. And I'm curious to see what they do. I'm I'm hoping because you know press conferences, they're not typically for the most candid moments, and you have to you can't alienate anybody, so you have to speak kindly about all the players, and you have to say we're open to every option and et cetera, et cetera. And um, you know, you just have to hope it's more the 2021 version where no matter what direction they go in, there's a direction that's not idling in neutral, which is what last off season was. And the deadline was to me. And, um, you know, I'm willing to evaluate them on their actions this off season. It's just, the more you look at it, the tougher, the tougher the image is, man. It's just, it's just murky right now. And yeah, I, I might be putting it diplomatically. I agree with you, Rob. I, I think, I think that's all we're asking for at this point is like last all season just felt so constrained and confined. And you just, you, like you said, we, you made all of these all in moves and then you kind of like walk it back and you just kind of like sit there with your, like your arms folded and you don't really do much. And we haven't seen a trade in like what, like a season and a half or something like that. So is whatever, whatever direction they go in, go hard in that direction and just solidify that and just don't, like just sit there and like just confine yourself into into another off season like last year. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's wrap up on this a little bit around the NBA uh, playoff stuff. I know Rod, because you're covering uh, random playoff stuff for the Athletic right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's get some talk of like what what has been some favorite time, uh, series games so far for you as far as some of the games that you've seen in the postseason so far. Um, and just some stuff that's maybe like stuck out to you. Yeah, well, I mean, best best games have been the Warriors Kings games. I mean, that series is uh, yeah. just a classic. Um, and I know the Kings are kind of the America's team right now; they're everybody's darling. Yeah. Uh, but even being two zero, going back to Golden State, like you know, Golden State's not going down uh, with a whimper. So that series to me could easily go the distance. And every game so far has been incredible. I think they're two pretty level match teams that play a fun style. <laughs> Funny enough, I know I know everyone's made the joke, but just like you watch the way that those two teams play compared to how the Bulls played this season, and it's like it's like watching a different sport. Um, <laughs> but in some ways, that's what's fun about the playoffs, right? Is you get to you know when the Bulls aren't in it, as you guys were saying for a Bulls fan, like you get to sink your teeth more into other teams and and see what's working at the highest levels. Because if your team's not in the playoffs, whatever you're doing uh, didn't work at, at at the highest levels. So that's been my favorite series. Um, I did go to game one of uh, Bucks Heat. I got hooked up with tickets. It was my birthday on Sunday, uh, right. which is the day of game one. Um, so I went and saw that uh, Jimmy performance. 
Kevin Love rising from the dead. Like they're just knocking down threes. Um, Injuries suck. Like Giannis going out really sucked the air out of the building. And then Harrow going down. You know, I still don't think uh, that that game still felt like a little bit of a blip to me just because of how fluky the three point shooting was on each side and Giannis going down. But even if the, even if the heat had hero, I still think it would have been tough for them to, um, you know, really hang with the Bucks over the course of seven game series without him. Just with how little shot creation that team has, it's going to be tough. No matter how much Jimmy puts the puts the superhero cape on, um, but that was a fun uh, game to go to. And now that's a series where I thought that was just going to be ugly start to finish. Now I'm like definitely locked into all those games to to see how it goes. Because in a weird way, like Miami, no matter how dead you think they are, they just they're they physical. Be- they just find ways to hang with these teams, like. Um, so regardless of whether they ended up in the seven and played Boston or the eight and played Milwaukee, if I'm either of those teams, I wouldn't have wanted to see uh, Butler and, and Spolstra uh, and all them. So that's been cool. Uh, the Russell Westbrook three for 19 shooting game, but he makes like the five biggest plays of the game down the stretch, like getting on the glass and blocking Devin Booker was kind of wild. Um, Clippers taking game one of that series without Paul George. I, I didn't necessarily see that coming like the Suns. I haven't had to make a prediction necessarily, but they probably would be my default pick out of the West just because of how jumbled up it all is. And I just like the, the top end talent that they have. Um, but you know, Kawhi versus KD, like that's clearly going to be a heavyweight battle too. So I've been enjoying it. Like the only real, like non-competitive first round series so far has been like Brooklyn, Philly. Like I just don't see a way Brooklyn can match up with Philly at all. And then like Denver, Minnesota, Game one pretty much told me what I needed to know about Minnesota and how much fight they were going to put up. Uh, and then Boston, Atlanta, I guess that game's going I haven't looked at it, but that game's going on right now. Game one was certainly not competitive. I don't really expect Atlanta to make much of a push in that series, maybe. Mm-hmm. But other than those three series, like everyone is kind of appointment television and it could go either way. Like I didn't even get to Memphis, LA, where uh, the Lakers are fully in the driver's seat of that series with Jahar, um, which... Yeah. I'd love to brush off the, oh, everyone's picking the Lakers to make it through the West. Like, come on, come on. Like, they are who they are. And here they are, like, in this advantageous position. Um, as long as they don't get hurt, they're they're pretty scary. So, I just, like, the NBA, it has, it's had such a problem the last five, ten years of parity. Like, all these super teams, it's taken away a lot of the intrigue because you just know there's only one or two teams that have a chance. This year, it feels like five to seven or eight teams you know, maybe not can win the title, but can go far and and are capable of making deep runs. Um, so to me, that's made it really, really fun so far. And uh, I don't see it slowing down because the more you kind of peel some of the lesser teams off, the 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 crazier the matchups are going to get. Yeah. The, yeah. The bloodbath, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting. Like, you know, the, the Warriors are proving that their 1130 record on the road was not a, a, a was not just like a, a, an aberration. Yeah. They are just a really bad road team, and they're probably SOL unless they can find a way to win a game in Sacramento. Um, like, I mean, I guess a game seven could get interesting just because it's such a tense experience for, for a, an experienced team for like Sacramento. But still, I like, I, I think Sacramento is coming out of that, that series right now. Um, I think there was a stat out there for all the teams that had won uh, a championship and then the following year started out 2-0 and or 0-2 in their first round matchups all have lost. Oh, wow. So there was like three or four. There, there's three or four championship teams that have done that, 
that have they won a championship and then the following year in their first playoffs round started out 0-2 and then they lost that series. So, I mean, the Warriors are essentially on that path. Um, I was kind of surprised with that Clippers win. I was very surprised, to be honest. Uh, with, without Paul George, um, like Chris Paul needs to play a lot better. He, he needs to play a lot better. Um, I was also like that Cavs Knicks series is going to be fun. Um, I think Tibbs has kind of gotten underrated at this point. Like I know Tibbs gets a lot of hate um, and he gets a lot of criticism and some of the minutes stuff, obviously that's rightfully so. Uh, but like, I feel like he's gotten better in that aspect. He, cause that like no Knicks player was in the top 15 for minutes per game this season. So I, I think yeah. he did better. And I think I know I know he gets criticized for rotations, but he did a pretty good job on against that in that game one with his rotations. Uh like he didn't he didn't stick with guys that shouldn't he shouldn't stick with. Um Can I and, can and, I ask yeah. you guys can I ask you guys a Bulls fan question? Because yeah. I got a couple Go Bulls fans in my life that I talked to. And I'm not gonna say that they like second team or have adopted the Knicks, but with Tibbs there with the Rose there, just the way that they play, they're kind of a fun, likable, like physical team. Do you guys feel any affinity for the Knicks when you're watching these games, just with all the Bulls connections, or or is that I, I want to see Tibbs deep enough? Like, I mean, I don't really hate the Knicks anymore, not as much as I used to, to be honest. But like, I like, I want to see Tibbs have success. Like, I think he deserves it, especially because he, like I said, I, I feel like he's got underrated at this point, and and maybe people can clown me for being a Bulls fan and and rooting for the Knicks in that regards, but I like Tibbs. Like, um, I, I feel, I feel affinity for him and, and the things he's done. I, like Derek isn't playing, I don't think. So like, it is what it is yeah. with Derek, but yeah. Um, but like Tibbs is, is, um, is someone that, uh, that, you know, like we had our best, most fondest memories under Tibbs, man. Like regardless of what you want to say about him, man, those Bulls teams were ridiculous fun. And I would take those Bulls team type of Bulls teams, for the rest of my life rather than what we have most of bulls tenure at post dynasty. So, um, but yeah, it for, for me, at least, I don't know how Ed feels obviously, but like <laughs> for me, like I, I'm out, like if Tibbs and if Tibbs wins this first round series, I'm going to be like, yeah, hell yeah. Tibbs, let's go. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably like a little lower. Like, <laughs> like I, 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 I appreciate everything Tibbs did for the Bulls, but I don't know. Like I've never, I, I've never been like that high on him where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a root for him wherever he goes. Like he, you know, he was great in Chicago, but um, I, I do agree with Selena. I, I don't really feel anything for the Knicks when I watch them. Like it's, I, I feel like the Knicks Bulls rivalry, it, it's so long gone and it, it was really just like an era in the 90s and it, it hasn't it, it's not like bears packers or well yeah like it, it's not like that type of thing where it's happened in so many different eras like it was really just that one time and we really haven't seen much of it since then so it's just like i don't know like it i guess it's something that people maybe just hold on to just for like good times but i don't know like i never watched the knicks and these days and i'm like oh i, I just can't stand them. Like I, I'm just kind of like, oh, there's just another team, but like they're they're playing really well. So I mean, they're a fun team to actually watch. Like Jalen Brunson is awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah, like he he's so he's so good. Chicago, there's Chicago. Oh, Chicago. There's Quickly. a Chicago connection, yeah. not Bulls, but yeah, yeah. yeah. he's so yeah. Good. like just Quick, he, he, Quickly is a fun player. Grimes, great. Like, they got 
Yeah, they would they, be Hart, dude. Josh Hart. How much could the Bulls? I mean, they've got Josh a few Hart, yeah, um, yeah. dirty work guys, but him, the way he shot the ball with New York, and like the way he gets on the glass and defends, like rebounding. Yeah, every they, team needs a guy like that, man. He's he's so good. Yeah, they have such a good roster. So I mean, look, if Tibbs, Tibbs wins uh, a series. Look, congrats to him. Like they have such a good team, and Jalen Brunson is really awesome to root for, and I like RJ Barrett as well, and Randall is like bounce back too. So. Uh, I don't know. They're, they're not like my adopted team for the playoffs, but you know. Oh, I mean, not adopted, but I'm I'm definitely yeah. like like I said, I'm yeah. I'll be happy for Tibbs if if the if he gets out of that first round, especially because you know when you look at that the Cavs team, it's more talented than overall. Yeah. Like as far as you know, they have the best player on the court. The Cavs, that is, you know, yeah. everything like that. When you consider, I, I feel like. If if the if the Knicks can get that win, that would be a nice signature win for Tibbs, I think. Yeah. How about, how about, how about this? How about this? Giannis doubtful for game two. Yeah, Miami, that's the other thing. So will who Jimmy, do you think will comes Jimmy out of the Tibbs? East? Who do you think comes out of the East then? Because like I had the Bucks coming out of the East. Um, I mean, I still don't trust Philly because Philly is like, I don't know, man. Until they actually do it. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm just I, like they could be. They could literally have a red carpet to the finals, and I still wouldn't trust it until they do it, because I still think Harden will do something that he'll just not show up enough, and Embiid will be the only one doing anything. Um, like the Celtics. I mean, if the Bucks are out, the Celtics are probably like, yeah, this is our conference to lose again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I got. Uh, what do you think there? Yeah, I, I actually had to make a prediction, and I did. It was just chalk, but it was uh, for some I did for the Athletic, and I had Celtics over Suns, and that was even before the Giannis injury or the Bucks looked vulnerable. It's not like I think the Celtics are unassailable. Like, they could shoot themselves in the foot at any moment. As much as, right. Salim, I definitely don't trust Philly either, but I could kind of see that second-round series going either way. Just if Embiid's help, just the way that he's playing, like he's on a complete other level, even for as great of a career as he's had. And This might be his best supporting cast. Um, if Harden can figure it out, I know he's shot the ball well, but his like inside the arc explosiveness and finishing has kind of alarmed me a little bit from, from the games in that net series that I've watched. But if it's Bucks Celtics in the conference finals, which still to me feels likely, and we'll guess we'll see how the honest injury progresses. Um, I just think Boston matches up pretty well with them, especially being there live for that Bucks heat, uh, first round game. Like, it's underrated because Milwaukee has a great defense statistically and their rim protection is uh, obviously unmatched with Giannis and Brooke down there, but their wings, mm. Jimmy was getting anything he wanted, man. When you look at the rotation of like Crowder, Matthews, Ingles, Grayson Allen, like Crowder to me looks like he's lost a step a little bit. Don't want to overreact, but that's just what it looks like. Matthews a little bit undersized. He didn't look good last season either. Like when he, uh... When he played, like he was, he looked like he was pretty much done. Yeah. So then he, I just look at the matchup with Tatum and Brown, and they've obviously they had that big win at the end of the regular season. They've looked comfortable in that matchup the last couple times they played, even though they didn't have Middleton. I don't think the Bucks when they first played in the regular season. And that's a big positive takeaway for the Bucks. Middleton, at least, even though they lost, looked great. So um, that could be huge if Giannis is able to get back and they can keep that going. Um, but I think that one will go six or seven, and I just kind of flipped a coin. And just because Boston's had their number a little bit recently, I picked them. So I really think it's either of those teams, though. If it was Philly, as much as I could see it happening, I'd still be pretty surprised. And then I love Cleveland. I love the Knicks. Nets are plucky and fun. 
there's just no way. Like none of those teams are the Nets are yeah, obviously. I, I don't think are going to get out of round one. And no. Knicks and Cavs are to me are just a little too flawed to get by a team as good as Milwaukee if that is who ends yeah. up there. If that injury bothers Giannis all postseason, then yeah, I, I think Boston is like they're the clear like they just their wings are just so good and like I mean you got Tatum Brown, you got Smart, Derek White, like. I don't know. They're just a complete team to me. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I would honestly even pick Boston, even if Giannis is like, is good. I don't know. Like Boston just kind of gives me that vibe where like, they just want to get back again. And like, they feel, feel like they have unfinished business. Uh, the West is a little tougher to, to pick though. Uh, I, I almost, yeah, I have no, I have no read on the West yeah, at all, I, I especially no after that Suns loss. Like that, that oh, loss kind of wow. scared me, like on a deeper level, yeah. a bit, even though it was one game, you know? Yeah. Right, right. Um, I, like, I almost like, wanted to, uh, when Celine gave that stat about the uh, the defending champion going 0-2 in a series uh, the next year, because I was really about to say, I think the worst about to win it in seven, but now, <laughs> now I'm keeping my mouth shut, so... Well, I mean, like, the, if it goes to game seven, like, I guess you can kind of give an edge to the Warriors just because, you know, how many game sevens have been in in the playoffs, and the, this will be the Sacramento's first game seven. But the, that their road record is not anything to, like, overlook. Yeah. They're legit just bad on the road. It's perplexing. Um, and Fox – and, dude, Fox and Monk, like, I get it. You can't know until you see them in the environment, but they're they're badass, man. Like they, yeah, they are, the, they the are. way that they showed up in their playoff to be like, I feel like that tells you a little something about them. And they're killers. Like man. I know the Warriors have Peyton back, and you know Clay is who he is, and they've got some. They've got you know DiVincenzo. They've got some defensive minded wing guys, but I still down the stretch of both of the game one and game two, Fox and Monk were just kind of getting wherever they wanted and getting to whatever right. spot they needed to get to. Um, I so. I'm with you on the Lakers too. Listen, man, LeBron is still. I mean, that guy is so scary. And, and, and if you get if you get him a supporting cast, and if AD can stay healthy, I guarantee you, like with how wide open the West is, like you can't overlook the Lakers <laughs> ending up in the finals, or at least in the Dead. Western Finals. Like you can't, you just can't. Like, and then you look at like I mean, like Denver. I like. I, I'd be really cool to see you know them go to the finals. But yeah, that's like I thought like the Suns would be the favorites, but yeah, now I just like man, that that game, that game threw a big wrench in like how what I was thinking would happen in the West, and I mean like I I'm obviously in the beginning uh, before the playoffs started, I thought I would say like I could see any of these teams from one to seven in the finals, but yeah, the Warriors are just legit bad on the road. I don't I can't see them making a run anymore. Um, and Memphis, I, I mean Memphis with Ja with the Ja injury. Yeah, with Ja. Even even, be, even before that, I was skeptical of them. You know, going deep, deep. Yeah, because um, the maturity, yeah, their maturity the level is always kind of comes in. Yeah, that too. But like their maturity level always comes into play. Like they kind of step on their own foot. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's such the most wide open. I think I've made, I've, I made a joke that everyone and then every team in the NBA is frauds because there's just like, <laughs> no one's actually good enough to win it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so it. wide open. The league's so wide open. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much a wrap. Let's uh, what's, what's a uh, final uh, thoughts that you might have about the playoffs with the bulls. And then obviously please uh, share anything you're working on. Um, yeah. So yeah, fun. my, 
Yeah, socials are uh, at Rob underscore Schaefer on Twitter. I'm at uh, Bulls.com a little bit. Uh, even in the offseason, I'll be over there sporadically. And uh, at The Athletic, um, doing some NBA playoff stuff. Final thoughts, just it's kind of what we said to close the Bulls conversation. Like, it's time to sit back and see what they do. Because we've heard what they said. I think most of the fans that I'm kind of plugged in with that are really in the weeds every day were disappointed by the tone of the press conference. But at the end of the day, early in their tenure, the press conferences were tough to go by because their actions were their actions, and that's what you judged them by. And their actions have not been good enough to put the proper basketball product on the floor for basically the last 18 months, something like that. And this is what it's for, man. You got to hope that they have contingencies planned and that they've got something up their sleeve to at least make it feel different, to at least shake it up and give yourself some upside. That's the thing I couldn't escape watching this team a lot of this year was the identity was hard to pin down and it just felt like the ceiling was low. Um, So we'll see what they're able to do, but I'm willing to judge them by their actions and uh, see what it looks like. I guess not really in June because no draft pick, but uh, in July when the transaction window opens and uh, see what, see what they can maybe get done. The Bulls, the Bulls have not one point seven percent chance, but one point eight percent chance. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Whoa, all right. You, you all right. Bulls, like, <laughs> the Bulls, I can't have a draft pick. Everyone knows the Bulls are about to win the draft lottery. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's. I think it's actually a negative because the one point seven has been lucky for us before. Not we ain't never won anything with one point eight. So like, I'm feeling like we should have lost that coin flip. And last, yeah, last right. time. The- that a coin flip, it didn't work out for them because the Kings won. Like, remember when they flipped with, changed with, uh, they had flip that coin flip with the Kings, and the Kings ended up with the second pick in that Luca draft. Uh, oh, that's so, right, that's right. Yeah, so uh, OKC, OKC has the one point seven percent chance, and and I think they're gonna jump up to one and get Wemby now. Watch it's, it's, and we're gonna be kicking ourselves and be like, you sons of bitches, you did it. You stole Wemby from us. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, we'll see. I, you know, I hope the NBA does rig the lottery now and, and they want to <laughs> give Wemby to the Bulls. That would be awesome. I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> I mean, if they – I mean – Yeah, reward them. Reward them, man. They try – they're like the uh, – they were the biggest um, proponent of the play-in this year. Like that, you know, get first 10 seed to win a game, made both games entertaining in the East. I guess OKC uh, yeah. was too, but – Yeah, reward us. We're the team that should have tanked. And, you know, you punish you punish Dallas for, uh, for you know, doing their shenanigans. So, like, reward the Bulls. Come on, Adam Silver, you bozo. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. That's funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Ed, any final thoughts for you as we wrap up here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, thanks. Thanks again to Rob for, to uh, to Rob for dropping by. Uh, I, I was trying to think of like my best conspiracy theory for the Bulls winning the lottery, and it was, uh, wouldn't this be the 15 year anniversary of the Bulls winning? So then, uh, yeah, I, I think okay. that's the full, the 15 year anniversary of when the Bulls uh, got Derrick Rose, right? I believe that is. So maybe that is it, and. Uh, you know, fifth, uh, Victor was born on one four, so that's close enough to fifteen. If you combine the numbers, <laughs> I, I think I'm getting somewhere with this. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's my biggest conspiracy theory right there. So yeah, can, I fully can we to win the draft lottery? 
Can we somehow do the C red Fred somehow something equals seven? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> one one plus four is five, and then uh, Lonzo Ball has not played at all, but his jersey number is two, so plus two is seven, and that there you go. That there you go. <laughs> Lucky number seven, seventh banner incoming with Wemby leading the way. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens, man. We need a prayer. Uh, that that could save our lives. I mean, the, our sports uh, Bulls fans' lives if we somehow win this lottery. But it's a long shot, and this offseason is going to be very uh, frustrating, more than likely uh, than anything lucky happening. But yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. If you missed any previous episodes, you can find us under the Barroom Network on all major and minor podcast platforms. Thank you again to Rob Schaefer for joining us and to the listeners for tuning in. As always, for Edward Schuler and myself. Till next time, Bulls fans. 